Hi and you're welcome back to episode 11 of the League of Ireland podcast here on FinalWhistle.ie. As ever, I'm Refn Early and I'm joined once again by former Sligo Rovers, Dundalk and Galway United player, Alan Keane. Alan, welcome back. Cheers, Brevney. Good to be I back. I feel like I should look over at you here, but it's, you're not actually to my left-hand side, despite what the screen... Don't look that way. <laughs> How, uh, how's your, your fortnight been? I know the last time we spoke to you, you were fresh off your hero status. You've had your Watch LOI commentary debut as well. Uh, what was that like? Yeah, it was, uh, it was good. It was, um, you know, it's difficult. It can be t- tough enough, like, but it was a good game. It was a good game, to, and it was, uh, I suppose, an entertaining game. And uh, looking at it from a Sligo Rovers point of view, it uh, wasn't the end that they wanted, but um, you know, I I thoroughly enjoyed it, and look, it's a pity. I think the watch LOI is going coming to an end now shortly, so it'll be disappointing for the league. But I I enjoyed it, and hopefully to continue something with clubs. Well, now it's only fair to give people a right reply. So uh, you don't know we've done this, but we've actually got a video of Joey and Doe talking about his analysis of your your commentary on the match. <laughs> And um, but in terms of the uh, the games, obviously since we were last with us uh, last week, um, we've had two rounds of fixtures now. I suppose last Monday night's games, uh, very much old news at this stage. But we will just to to keep the record straight, we will talk about the the games on that night. The results uh, of all those games: Strathclyde United won, Bohemians won, Shamrock Rovers three 0 winners against Waterford. Longford Town, 2-all with Dundalk. Fantastic result for them. Uh, they were 2-0 up. A bit disappointed maybe to have dropped the, the win, uh, but 2-all, they'd have taken that going into the game, I would imagine. Sligo Rovers and Pats, 1-all in the showgrounds. While Finn Harps had their first ever win, competitive win at least, at senior level in the Brandywell, 1-2. The final score there in favour of the Dunley All-Men, Adam Foley getting his like, sixth of the season in that particular clash. So, um. Any thoughts on those games before we move on quickly to the weekend's action? Yeah, I know you got to look at the, the game. Finn Harps, obviously, a massive result for them. Um, they probably suffered uh, going into the weekend's game that they put so much into the game on the on the Tuesday night. And you can see now the part-time teams compared to the, the full-time teams, the, the, the midweek games do take its toll. But uh, fantastic for Finn Harps. And they're, 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 they're back. They're flying it again, you know. And obviously, Shamrock Rovers, just uh, keep rolling out the results. And as, as you said earlier, I was doing the commentary on the game in the showgrounds. It was a very entertaining game. So um, it was a good round of fixtures. A bit disappointing to lose the win in the manner they did. Uh, that late goal from the corner uh, for St. Pat's obviously uh, gave them a point to bring back up the F4 to Dublin. The weekend's actions, then two games Friday night. Dundalk and Sligo Rovers uh, were in Oriel Park. Uh, Sligo Rovers hadn't read the script uh, as Dundalk's fine form coming into the game was turned on its head. Uh, Gordon, a uh, Jordan Gibson, not Gordon, a uh, Jordan Gibson strike from a decent range uh, found the bottom of the net. Uh, will that be one that Dundalk will be disgusted with how they defended it, or was it just a, a moment of brilliance from an on-form player from Red? Oh uh, yeah, you have to give credit to Jordan Gibson. He's a, he's got a turn and he's a, a great strike. From uh, from distance, the the guy's uh, you know he's flying it at the minute, um. But Dundalk would have seen that as um, you know, with Gary Buckley getting sent off in around the sixtieth minute, or even earlier, I think. Um, I think they would have been disappointed not to have have got something from the game, but they didn't deserve anything from the game. To be honest with you, Sligo Rovers are excellent. Um, throughout, uh, I thought they came to, together as a team once the once the sending off um happened. And I think Shane Blaney, Shane, yeah, Shane Blaney came on for Romeo, and they just, they, apart from Ed McGinty's 
heroics again at the end and he's he's saving so many points this year and uh, it sh- shows the importance of having a, a top quality keeper and look at fully deserved win and uh, they keep the role going yeah, we'll talk to John Mahan later in the programme about all of that uh, because obviously he's been that line of defence just ahead of Ed McGinty. Two fantastic saves from McGinty in the last uh, couple of minutes of injury time in that clash as well. Uh, took all three points for Sligo Rovers. Uh, the other game on Friday night was, of course, uh, the meeting of um, Derry City and Longford Town. Longford let a goal slip, um, a two-goal lead slip to Dundalk on Monday they made the trip up to the Brandywell. They'd beaten Derry in the early game of the season, first game out, uh, that put them top of the league very, very briefly. But uh, it wasn't to be for them, despite having taken the lead. Injury time equaliser in this game as well. Uh, James Akintunde with a late strike. Longford really, you kind of hard felt for them really in terms of how they much they put into it to let it slip in injury time. It's got to be heartbreaking for Dara Doyle and his men. Yeah, because they did, they did, they done all right. Like they played well, they defended. They were under the cost a little bit. Uh, Jerry were piling on the pressure without any really kind of, you know, didn't really open up. And then Rob Manley scores that goal, and you think they scored this goal this late. I couldn't see Jerry get managing from the game. And to be honest with you, the goal, the the Akintunde's goal, it looked like it took a bad bobble off the pitch or something. I, I you know, I I tried to watch it back again a few times, and it it looked like it just took a a. a mad deflection off the pitch but um, they would have been happy for I suppose Rory Higgins would have been happy out with the with, with the draw at the end um, because I didn't think they get it and I was disappointed for, for Longford because they did put in such an effort I do think uh, that Gary probably deserved a draw at least out of the game they were the better side but I really like Longford's fighting spirit and we're going to hear from Larry Mahoney later in the show about um, the, how impressed he was decades ago with Roy Keane's never say die attitude and we might hear a bit more about that, uh, but that I see that from this Longford side. They just don't know when they're beaten, and we saw the daily match earlier in the season. Uh, they probably didn't deserve to get the Rob Manley goal, but they took the opportunity when they get it. They just couldn't hold on. Uh, Saturday night was probably a little bit one-sided in two of the three clashes. Um, I haven't watched the Waterford Drogheda game, to be honest. I didn't watch it on the night. I haven't watched it back. I have little to no interest in, in even talking about it, to be honest. What's your take on on how things go? 7-0, just for the record, is the final score. Draw out a field of the under-19 team because of COVID. What do we make from that? What can you make from that? Oh, where, do you want, where do you want me to start with, with, with Waterford now? Because it's just week in, week out. It's, it's, it's like a circus down there, to be honest with you. But I just feel... I don't get it. I don't get it. You know, the statements uh, come statement after statement. They, they've come out and said it's possible close contact. All the teams, have, all the players got tested. They came back negative, but we're not fielding a team. So we're going to fire out the under-19s team. And I just feel so bad for them 19s players. They're starting off their careers. Yes, they would have been delighted to make the first team debut, but not in that kind of situation. And especially would have been on Watch LOI. And like yourself, I flicked over and I just I felt bad for them because it, it's not nice. And I I can I can assure you that there's a certain players that are on the draw of the team that didn't take any pleasure out of beating them that much either, you know. And, and they only have to, I suppose, go out and perform and and do what they have to do. But I just don't think it's it was right. They wouldn't put them on the team. They wouldn't put them on the team sheet the 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 week before or midweek against. Um, uh, Shamrock Rovers because for fear that referees don't don't uh, 
look after them and then they fire out 11 uh, 11 of them out the last day i just it's just not fair in them I, something doesn't sit right with me to be honest to be fair that was two different managers it has to be said of course of course it, I, I, it was, I agree but, it was kevin sheen that made that call the week previous and it was a different manager this time around and the academy manager who probably knows these players a bit better and knows what they're capable of but to, to put basically lemmings out there as cannon fodder um it just wasn't fair um yeah they'd, they'd be as well off if they, they forfeited the game and they would they'd actually be better off they'd be better off because the fee, the fine would probably be the same as what they've ended up paying the expenses for the night between ambulances and referees and all the match expenses that go with it and plus the mental side of the 19s players that's not a good start to your career what's your first game i got hang seven nil in league of ireland that that could turn away a couple of 19s players like and it's just not it's just not nice it's not fair um so something has to be sorted because it's a mess down there yeah one of the game i suppose that has a similar look on the scoreline but very different in terms of how it actually played out uh, it was a dailyman park bohemians four fit harps nil uh, a very very professional performance from uh, bohemians they just looked unplayable from the start you mentioned the fatigue about fin harps already but yeah. for me i watched this whole game live on on saturday night uh, liam burt ali coote and ross tierney were just phenomenal and i think it's more of what we expected to see of from bows this season yeah most definitely and we've we've been saying it on this a few times where's the where is the bows that we know and we've seen that on saturday night and it, yes finn harps were, were looked leggy and they, they didn't perform at all on the night so i would say you know the likes of bows i predict them for this round fixtures to come in to the round of you know take I think they go on could go on the round unbeaten. You think that they can get through the round without losing to some of the bigger names in the league? Yeah, I think they're going to come into form because they, they have been threatening. Um, I, I, I think that if any team in the league now, as well as Shams, they can put a, uh, a run together. And I, I fancy Bowes. I, I really do. Um, like you had a team against Finn Harps who were, who were doing good, doing okay. Like So I think Bowes will kick on from here. Yeah, I have to say now, watching them on... On Saturday evening, I for me the the top three football insides that I've seen this year that have actually impressed me have been um Shamrock Rovers, St. Patrick's Athletic, and Bohemians on Saturday. Um I haven't really seen much from anybody else that I've kind of gone, yeah, I really like how they, they do that. Slide open ground and out results, but playing maybe a different style of football. Um and, and Fit Harp's the same. It's not yeah, necessarily I think I think I think in fairness, like Rovers have been playing decent football, and I would have to throw in a bit of a Drogheda there. Drogheda have been playing all right, considering. I'll, I'll take it back. I've been impressed by Drogheda. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd have to I'd have to add them. Look at the league this year. It's it, it's a it's topsy turvy to be honest with you. If you lose two games and the teams below you win two games, it's you're just chopping and changing position. But um, you can kind of see a gap opening up now at the top. To be honest, so um, it's going to be an interesting tier. second round of fixtures. The top three are definitely pulling away from everybody else. And I think uh, given how the results will probably pan out over the next few weeks, I think we're going to see that gap get a little bit wider. It'll be interesting to see if Bohemians or Dundalk can put that run together that people expect them to to kind of keep in touch with the top couple of clubs. Uh, the final game, I suppose, was the highlight of the weekend, really, for most neutrals watching or most club, most people looking past their own clubs. And that was the top two met in Richmond Park, St. Patrick's Athletic, Shamrock Rovers. Once again, Rovers left it late. They did, and that's what champions do. You know, they grind out the results. And to be honest with you, I, I've said it to a few already. I just I can see Shamrock Rovers winning the league with four or five games to go. 
They're going to add Richie Towell now to the to the fold as well. Come in uh, in July. Um, they just they just know they're only in second gear. They haven't kicked on at all yet, and I just they just know how to win, and that's what you know. You look at the teams, Alex Ferguson teams. You know, he used to always get late goals, late goals. That's not by chance. That's that's they know how to grind out a result, and um, it was disappointing because Pat's Pat's played well on the day. You mentioned Richie Towell. Who does he replace in that Shamrock Rovers midfield? Because it'd be very unfair to take out a Mandrew or a Watts or even Chris McCann has had uh, some pretty good moments. And there's others as well who deserve uh, credit for where they've got the club to at this point. Yeah, you probably see a bit of rotation in, in the, 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 the Shamrock Rovers side. Um, McCann, I think, will probably rotate with, with the likes of uh, Ron Finn, maybe. You know, they'll have that role. But I think Richie Towell will probably be one of the first names on the team sheet every week. And uh, Mandrew maybe, um, what as he said, there's so much. Where do you where do you stop with them? You know they've they've so much like and the injuries that they've had recently. You know Aaron Green went off and um, I think someone else was off. Uh, someone else is injured was out. Um, was it? Um, can't think of it. Who was it now? And they had they had any. Uh, I think there was three or four injuries they had. And Stephen Bradley said we it's good for a rotating at the side. And it's like they still had a quality squad out, like it's a quality team. So, bear in mind that they lost McInef and Byrne yeah. only six or ten games ago. Essentially, they're not, even, they're, they're not even they're not even playing to the best that they can, and they're winning games. So you'd see the the best of Shamrock Rovers come, you know, I suppose coming into the European games when they start to peak a little bit, and that's where we'll see them probably pull away a little bit and it's important for the teams up around there now there's only going to be two teams that you think is going to challenge them now from now on and that's St. Um, Pats and, and Sligo Rovers Yeah it was a busy week as well of course in the, the first division uh, some interesting games played here Cabin Teeley versus Cove 1-0 to Cabin Teeley um, Galway United 1 Bray Wanderers 2 and Gary Shaw with a last minute winner for Bray there to kind of get their season up and running it's been a slow one but they're finally off the mark Shells and Athlone, top two teams in the league, um, or at least two other top teams in the league coming into the the, the, um, the game on Friday night. 1-0 to Shells in Talker Park, uh, while Cork City ran out 5-0 winners over Wexford, who've since lost their manager. Um, he parted ways with the club tonight as we record this on Monday evening. And UCD versus Treaty. And Humdinger, 3-2. UCD 2-0 down and just had enough to come out and grind out that 3-0 win. They really look like they could be the real deal this year. Yeah, they do. Yeah, every every time they always do. They produce some quality players, don't they? Um, look out throughout the league. How many has 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 gone through that that system and gone on to being top players? So uh, it's a very very interesting first division. It's not how we envisaged that to start. Um, that's for sure. That's for sure. Struggling and look at it, it's going to be. It's a lot. It, 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 as, as the managers say, it's a margin, not a sprint. Yeah, well, I suppose if you look at that table, only seven games played, not even the full first round of fixtures. Obviously, three rounds played in the first division. Uh, but we have UCD and Shells top of the table, 15 points in their seven games. Athlone on 13, Cabotini on 12, Treaty on 10. And, like, until you get to Cork in eighth place, it's just for the record, Galway 9, Bray 8, and Cork City 7 points. None of them are really out of it. As you said, two points. Uh, they're one win out of the playoffs. Um, Cove less than two wins out of the playoffs. Wexford, it seems to just be a, a, a mess at the moment. I think they weren't done any favours with that uh, go- refereeing decision in, in against UCD to send the goalkeeper off in the first minute. I think 
that kind of set the ball rolling that maybe was the straw that broke the camel's back for the uh, the manager this week? Yeah, it's never, it's never nice to see a manager um, uh, lose his job. But like, you know, Wexford are, they, they always kind of struggle. But like you said there, the, the league is so tight. Go United, for instance, last year when John Coffey took over, they were way off the, the playoffs. He's went on a run and they finished up in the playoffs. So that's how the league, as, I presume Wexford will be looking for a manager to come in and they look for that bounce effect and maybe a couple of wins on the trot, take them back up into the league. But look, again, it's going to be a bit like the the, pre, the Premier League. It's topsy-turvy. So uh, it's one to keep an eye on. Yeah, I think Cove, Cove will struggle. I think they top five at this stage. Even just the, the goal difference, minus nine after seven games, kind of indicate they're not maybe as tight at the back as they need to be. But everybody else, I think, there's eight teams there all going for promotion. And right down to Cork and Bray and Galway in sixth, seventh and eighth. Like, yeah. that's a, it's going to be a, some watch, I think, this year. I'm really looking forward to seeing how that develops over the next couple of weeks. But like we said, we have a couple of guests on the show this week. Uh, we're going to be talking later on to a long-established League of Ireland figure in Larry Mahoney, former coach with a range of clubs across both the league and the women's league, and even predating the women's league in terms of uh, FAI Cup winning teams over the years. Uh, he's come out with a new book, uh, which takes all of his experience with the FAI in the coach education department and as a League of Ireland coach himself in his own right. Um, we're going to talk to him about that book. But first, let's take a little bit closer to home to the pair of us at least, I think. And uh, let's take a look inside the gates of the showgrounds with John Mahan of uh, Sligo Rovers. John Mahan, you're very, very welcome to the programme. Perfect. Thanks for having me. It's been, I suppose, beyond what you probably expected at the start of the season in terms of the start that Sligo have made. Um, how nice is it to be looking at yourself in that leading group with clubs at the top of the table after the, the first round and a little bit extra has been played of the league season? Yeah, definitely. I think the the way we kind of left off the end of last season, you know, winning all them games, I think we just kind of carried it through into this season. Yeah, and it's it's going very well for us at the moment. So hopefully we can keep it going. And John, um, I've obviously seen a lot of games. We commented on a lot of games this year. And look, you you started the season on a personal level. You've started really well, and you've continued on from where you had with your injury. Um, yeah. Talk us through your injury and and the comeback. Did you, do, you, do you think COVID helped you that you didn't miss as many games in a way, or or how would you how would you describe it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, obviously the injury was very bad. Uh, I think I broke the first of February up in that loan. I was actually coming up in the care of mum. I think Regan was. We played the preseason game in um, Balmain. I think the week before that, Regan done his um, collarbone, and I kind of just said, "Mum, touch wood. I didn't have any bad injuries." And then. Obviously, after I broke the leg, but uh, tough, yeah, with the COVID. But I remember I was chatting to you in the stand, I think, just before COVID and watching the games. You were giving me a bit of advice, like, but it was just tough kind of watching the lads. And obviously, COVID came around and then kind of everyone was in the same boat as me, so it wasn't too bad, yeah. So it definitely did help me, like. Yeah, because you got injured so early in the preseason, a broken leg. Most people expect to be out for more or less the whole season, but then I suppose half the season got chopped. So, you ended up only missing really probably about a dozen games, even if that at the end. Yeah, definitely. Even for the mind, like to kind of come back, like when obviously the lads have missed a good chunk of the season, like and kind of same with me, like so kind of come back and they're not like too ahead of me with the mark of that. But... 
you know, it's at that game in Athlone now. It actually arrived late, so I didn't see your injury. It happened, I think, the first seven or eight minutes of the game. But, um, I, from what people said in the ground on the day, uh, they knew it was serious because just the scream they'd heard about it was just something otherworldly was how it was described on the day. What's the sensation like in, in that experience of what's the first thing that runs through your head? Um, obviously, I went, I went in for tackle. Like, I love tackles. That's kind of the main part of my game. Like, and I kind of went in and, oh, it was just kind of the way, like, I never got a feeling like it before. Like, my whole kind of leg kind of went numb and then I kind of went into shock as well. Like, but I was just in so much pain. Like, you know, you're just trying to grab people around you and kind of lose the pain. So, yeah, I kind of knew it was serious straight away. Like, went into the dressing room, we called the ambulance and I was on the kind of the green whistle to take away the pain then. So, it wasn't too bad after that. But, yeah, the pain I remember for a long time now. Yeah, and, and uh, John, as I spoke to you before, I've done my fib and tip as well. And you're you're mentally, you think, can you come back from it again? And can you, um, you know, recover from it? Uh, and you feel you feel loads of thoughts go through your head. But did it make you more determined and more stronger as a person? You know, when you're sitting down and you're you're um, you're watching the games it just makes you more determined to come back a stronger and better player yeah you definitely find yeah. mentally yeah 100 percent uh when i done it like i kind of not wasn't feeling sorry for myself but like obviously you get all the text messages and stuff like that like at the start once they start going like it's kind of up to you to kind of see where your mindset's at but like i always knew i was going to get back to it um, watching the games and stuff like that, like I just didn't want to take anything for granted. So once I came back, I just kind of wanted to put me all into it then. And yeah, I definitely came back mentally stronger from then on. When you look at the club from the outside in uh, over the last few years, I suppose you made it kind of your big impact in the early part of the 2018 season. Um, struggled to maybe get results in that year, just about stayed up towards the end of the season, kind of similar in 19. And then last year, obviously, from the restart, it's been a whole different club, a whole different performance from uh, more or less the same basic pool of players. There's a lot of players who've been through all four of those seasons. Yourself, Ed, Niall Morahan, Regan Donnellan, although he's not getting much game time this year. There's been a few familiar faces. What's the big difference, in your opinion, maybe pre-COVID and post-COVID for the explanation in the form of the club? Um. I think it just when you kind of you go into games like we got that run towards um the last last season like I think when you go into games and you kind of get the kind of confidence in like it carries in through the next games and stuff like that um you have like to Greg Bulger and players like that that came in recently like and there's a massive push being there and done it like same with Gary Buckley so I think we just have a really good group like as you said it mixed up lads from last year and a few seasons ago and then you have Greg and stuff like that coming in so. I think it's just a mixture of everything and confidence and stuff like that. So, yeah. And John, you touched on there, Gary Buckley. I think yourself and Gary Buckley have struck up a serious, serious partnership this year. You complement each other. Uh, and I spoke about it a few times that, you know, if he makes a mistake, you're there, you make a mistake, you know, he's there. Have you found that that has been good, that you now have a settled centre half beside you where compared to last year, it was like chopping and changing and even a, a couple of years previous, you had so many different partnerships. Isn't it so crucial? Like, do you find it really that has benefited you that you, you've played so many games? And I think for, uh, Saturday night will be the first time this season, will it, yeah. that you, you won't be playing together? 
Yeah, definitely. Like as you said, like when you you know who you're going to be playing with is Mark of Help. Like you know what he's capable of, and you know what kind of what where you have to be if he messes up or if I mess up. Like so, like if it's just a massive like knowing that you're going into the game and he's going to be there. Like it's yeah, it's a massive help. Like. Who's been watching a lot of the, the club over the last few years and you've been a big integral part of that uh, defensive unit at the club. A lot of it comes down to, I don't know how many, and I'd even be scared to look back try and count them, how many last gasp diving challenges that you've stopped to prevent the shot, never mind Ed having to worry about it hitting his gloves. Um, is that part of the game in terms of what you worked on the whole way up or is that just an innate skill that you were kind of, you've been born with essentially? Um. I'd say I was probably born with it. I kind of, ever since I was young, I kind of was like, kind of not an old school defender, but like I'd love to just get my headers in and tackles in. And like, I know strikers score goals and they feed off that, but like last pitch tackles, as you said, or blocks and stuff like that, it really helps me in the game. Like, and I just, I think I kind of get in the positions where I have to do it. And then, yeah, I'm willing to do it. So, yeah, it's good. So go back, John, your days in Balasadere, isn't it, where it all started? Yeah. Um, did you always have ambitions? What What was your ambitions? Was it always Rovers or was it beyond? Um, well, I was playing with Balasadere. I don't think they, when I started off in Balasadere, obviously the academy wasn't wasn't there. It was like Rovers, so it was always kind of, I played with Balasadere and then they had this like Elitrum and uh, Connacht, the regional centre. So yeah, the dream was always kind of go from Balasadere, maybe across the water or something like that, but then the Rovers Academy set up um came in so towards the end of the Balasadere days, so I kind of went in that and just gave it a shot. Like, but yeah, Balasadere was a massive help in my um my progress. Like, you've the likes of Darry Healy who's in there now, um Stephen Healy as well, like Paul Cunningham, you know, all them lads. Like, they're they're a massive help for me. And the academy you, you touched on there with Sligo, it really started to bear fruit at under seventeen level. Just perfect timing for you, for yourself and your age group. A lot of that group of players have come through and a part of that, whether they're the first team in Sligo or some one or two of them with UCD over maybe a year or two age group. What was it about that group of players that came in uh, for that initial under-17 season that's kind of brought so many players through? Um, I think, obviously, when you're a young lad, you're always eager. Like, and you've got, like, say, Dinky, um, Niall Harris and all them, like Jinxie, Danny O'Leary. And I think it was just the kind of professional setup that you go into games and you'd have all your kit kind of set out for you. You went at the bottom of the bag and pulling out socks that were long or too small for you. So I think the kind of professional setup and you know, the train and then in the showgrounds and like you, the main pitch would be opposite. Yeah, like so I think you're just all the young lads are very eager and you, the training was very good. So yeah. And John, how did you find the transition? It, it seemed seamless, to be honest with you. Uh, you were moving in from t- making the step up. Everyone thought, you know, you're gonna. You remind me a bit like like Johnny Kenny is just taking like a duck to water. How did you How did you find the step up yourself personally? Uh, the tempo, um, the training, and and the whole surround of it. Yeah, I kind of the obviously my debut was against St. Pat's at home, like. Um, I don't think the physicality was ever an issue, but as you said, the tempo, tempo like the players are way quicker. You could kind of on the nineteen, you could go in for a tackle and the ball would be there. But in the first team, they just move it quickly and do a free yeah. kick. Obviously, fans, their managers' jobs on the line, like stuff like that. So, yeah, it took a while to get used to it. Um, but once you kind of play a good game of uh, the debut, I thought I did okay, and then the fans take it, stuff like that. So yeah, I think 
it wasn't too like once you get used to it, it wasn't too hard to set up like. Yeah, I think I remember that debut in the showgrounds, but it was I think you came in because it was a huge influx or a huge issue with um injuries at the back for Sligo and I think they literally had no choice but to play it. And since then you've been if available, you've been pretty much ever present in that team. It's very rare for a 17 or 18 year old at the time to come in and have that almost ever present impact on the squad. Um was that something that you knew you could do or, or did you think you'd have to wait your time like some of your uh, age group had to do over the next season or two to really establish themselves in that first team? Um, obviously, the season when I, I was kind of, Dave Robinson was in charge when I was kind of turning up the, the first team and as you said, the injuries uh, kind of came in then when Jared Little was there and kind of he threw me in, he defeated me to go in and I think when I, once I made my debut, I kind of thought I kind of belong here like so. Um, once I played that game, I kind of was confident enough that I want to play the next and the next and the next, and I've kind of just stayed in the team since then. And like at a, even at a young age, you, you've gone through, was it three? This is your third manager, would it be? Yeah, third manager. Yeah. So, like, they, they would have been all different um, kinds. How would you say, obviously, Liam Buckley, the man, has has a serious prejudice within the league, and, and obviously, Rustler, how do you find their Rustler's training? Because if he's anything like the way when he played, it's definitely tough. Yeah, definitely. Like, as you said, Liam, like, I don't know, he's the kind of manager who kind of keeps calm. Like, we'd never yeah. kind of shout or give up. I know when we were going through the bad patch last um, last year with COVID, like, just kind of kept everything, things calm and kind of goes off on the players to keep it calm and we can just kind of play our football and just take it as it is. And then with Rustler, I think, to have a kind of, he's a kind of a player role as well. He knows what the lads are like. Yeah. He's, he's, like, he's probably one of the fittest players in there still. Like. Yeah. Yeah. Um it's training very hard, but like it's it's the training is hard, but then they come the weekend, then the game it's just it's a little bit easier. So yeah. And ha- has his banter improved? Uh no, not really, no. <laughs> maybe, 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 off, maybe off the pitch, but on the training pitch he's very serious. <laughs> yeah, you mentioned uh, one name in there, obviously uh, Brian Dorian Dinky, as he's known on the showgrounds. Um he's been a huge part of your experience in there with the nineteens and with the, the senior side over the last few years. He was also technically a bit of a fourth manager for a couple of games towards the tail end of the season before Lee Buckley came in. Um, he's left the club this week. He's gone to take up a full-time role with the FAI as the regional development officer for the elite group in, in Donegal. How much of a loss is he to the whole setup there in the show? Yeah, massive loss. Um, obviously, he was on the 19 manager when Jack and Ed and me signed with the first team. Um, he'd always be in training with the first team, not, not training, but like taking part with the first team. So to have him to kind of, you know, first day of going into the first team, he was already there. Like, so he'd be able to guide you through that. Like, he's obviously a massive loss. Um, but I wish him the best all in his, in his new role. Yeah, as you said, uh, Dinky will be, he will be a massive loss. And it was when I signed 2009, he was there. You know, yeah. he was involved as well. So he's been there through the club a long, long time. And, you know, you take that experience of a man of Dinky's, uh, you know, caliber away. But look, at they've replaced him with uh, Declan Boyle as well, another good lad. So I wish Dinky all the best, obviously, yeah. on his on his new journey, and and wish Declan the best of luck. But uh, as you said, Dinky has 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 developed you as a player that, that you were. My next question would be, John, what next for John Mahan? Um, I've probably the top of my uh, what's next for me is probably win a cup. Uh, when the league was slightly over, so if we can do that this year or next year, that would be the the top four for me. And then obviously, 
I think every young lad's dream would be get across the water and get across the water and make plenty of money. <laughs> be, be able to look after my parents that have been a massive role in my career. Like that's another goal. Um, yeah, just play as much games as I can this season and just kind of see, see where it takes me. I know you were a fairly accomplished Gaelic footballer in your time, John. And there's a big championship or a bit start of National League this weekend. Leitrim playing uh, Sligo down in Markovic Park. Any bit of you at all ever can think think maybe that could have been the direction I ended up going in? Um, a little bit. Like my dad, he played one or two games with, um, with Sligo. Like, so he kind of, I started off playing Gaelic, which probably what he wanted me to do. Um, but obviously the professional sport was like, to kind of come in and do that is your job, the training every day and get paid for it. Like that kind of lent me um, towards the just like Rovers kind of part of it. But yeah, like maybe when I finish my career, I wouldn't mind going back and playing Gaelic for a few years. With the wads of money coming out of the back pocket and everything. So it's like a big <laughs> rolling up in the big, the big, the big Ferrari and everything. Yeah, yeah. Now you did mention the, the ambition for this year is to win a cup, and then you mentioned leagues straight after that. I suppose Shamrock Rovers look to be the form team. St. Pat's have put it up to them. You've kept close. Is there a league title in this group of players in the showgrounds? Is that a genuine belief in the in the club? Because I think it's fair to say that outside of the immediate dressing room environment or the supporters of Sligo, nobody would have seen that coming at the start of the season. Is that belief in there that that's possible for this group of players? I, I think you, you need to believe, like, um, if that's this year or next year, I think that's the, when you start off the season, that's the aim is to win the league. And um, we just, I think we just need to keep winning games and keep the momentum going and kind of see where it takes us. But I think it definitely you should believe that you can win the league title. And if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. But that should be the belief from the very start. Yeah, I think you're spot on there, John. Like, uh, thing is, why enter a competition if you don't want to win it? You know, exactly this, I know it cracks me up sometimes when people go, oh, we're happy enough with this. But everyone, in, everyone starts off at the start of the year. They want to win everything, everything they can possibly. So we definitely have a great chance this year of doing something. I know uh, Shamrock Rovers is going to be really difficult to knock off. But as you said, the Cup is a great um uh, the cup is a great avenue for you. And it has been for the, for the, for the last, I suppose, decade or so. Um, and you as a as a Sligo man, you yeah. be it'll be your proudest moment. I'm, I'm sure um, to win to win something like that. But uh, the other side, the other question is going to ask you is yourself. Do you think that the the new players that's come in with COVID and no fans, they've that they've helped settle themselves in better than what it is fans? Because you know the expectations. I've I've heard a few fans, and the expectations now is. It was all right for a mid-table team. Now the pressure is coming on because they expect you to challenge. Do you think that has kind of helped the likes of Jordan Gibson, you know, your your Walters, all these, even, as you said, Greg Bulger, not kind of having the fans there so they can actually relax into it? Yeah, 100%. I think when I, kind of, when I made my debut, um, it was against St. Pat's a packed house, like, and you do, and you haven't played against in front of a crowd, like you do, you feel the pressure. And even the likes of Johnny, I was actually talking to my mum about today, Johnny Kenny, like young lads that have never kind of played out in front of a full crowd, like for them to be, it's kind of like the same as on the 19 game when there's no one there, like that there's no yeah. pressure on them. You can't hear the crowd screaming if you give away a ball or stuff like that. Yeah. But yeah, it takes away the pressure and you can just go out and just play football and just, yeah, take it as it is. There's an indication from uh, the government today that there might be crowds back at games as early as July. Would you be delighted to see them back or be quite happy to play in that environment where there's a little bit less pressure, a little less reaction from the sidelines? 
No, I think I think you need the crowd there. Like um, even the likes of few games that the last few minutes when you need to go, like the crowd would get behind you and it would it would push you on. Like so, yeah, I think you definitely need to come back in. Like. Excellent. Well, listen, John, thanks very much for joining us. Uh, the very best look at the weekend against Waterford. I suppose we don't really know yet at the, this moment in time whether Waterford's players are going to be back out of that COVID restriction or not. But either way, um, you'd probably be in action one way or another against either Waterford's first team or maybe their 19s again at the weekend. The very best look to you for the weekend and for the season ahead. Perfect. Thank you, Brendan. Cheers, Alan. Now, one other thing that I've seen come out of the League of Ireland in the last couple of weeks is a little book called Let the Players Play. And it's written by someone who has decades of League of Ireland experience uh, as a coach, both in the men's and the women's game at the very top level of the coach. He won the FAI Cup with Bray. He's been involved with Shamrock Rovers, Athlone, Drogheda, and also one of the probably the dominant forces in women's football through the noughties, UCD and a little bit of DLR waves at the start of the Women's National League. And that is Lara Mahoney. Lara, you're very, very welcome to the programme. Thanks for having me, Alan. How Hello. are you? How are you? Good. Now, I had the good fortune um, to work up close with you for probably about 12, 15 months of that uh, with UCD back in the mid-noughties. Lara, one of the best coaches I've seen in person. Um, so thank you for what I learned from you. But now you've decided you're not, that... Breath, breath. You're only saying that because it's true. <laughs> <laughs> but, but now, but the, the attention to detail, and I might just talk about that period for a while because the things that we as a staff and you as, a, as the head coach and the manager were, were doing with an elite group of players that we take for granted now. So um, sports psychology, there were sessions, there was uh, strength and conditioning three times a week in the gym, and proper facilities, regular schedules, stuff that we take for as a given now, but was definitely not the done thing at the time. Uh, you were doing that 15 years ago. Uh, and now you've decided you want to share that with everybody in terms of how to get kids involved and put them in at the top of the funnel that they might turn out to be better players at the end. Tell us a bit about, I suppose, um, first of all, your own background in the league uh, as a coach. And maybe we might start with the, 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 the time of Bray because that's obviously your own local club yeah well to be honest Anto Whelan who was a League of Ireland legend myself and Anto grew up together right Anto who played for I think everyone and won the league with everyone in the League of Ireland right we grew up together and we went to school together we played on the same schoolboy team together we had a very successful schoolboy team so my first involvement was actually with Draw the United so we took Draw the United in the first division that time and we got promoted Okay, so we did a, we did what we thought was a really good job, but in good League of Ireland tradition, we were finished. <laughs> we we got into the Premier Division, and that was the end of it. So we finished there. So again, in terms of local links, Pat Devlin would have been a neighbour of ours. So uh, Pat Pat asked me to go to Bray, and I spent. It, it's hard to determine how many seasons you spend at Bray. You know, there was uh, I spent some time working with with what what would have been the reserves. I spent time working with the first team and I spent time as uh, what was titled the youth development uh, officer at the time. So you, you filled a, a lot of those kind of roles across um, range clubs. Um, let's talk about the cup run in 99 and Bray because I think that's one that most Bray fans will probably remember fairly fondly. Yeah, it was it, it, it was a sprint that became a marathon. There was three games, there was two replays. Back in the old days when money wasn't so important, there was uh, 
there was uh, we we drew we we obviously drew the first two games and then we we did well then to win the third game. I think by the time the third game came, I think everyone was flat. Coaches, players, supporters, everyone were, were flat out. Were totally exhausted. But we got the win, and it was absolutely fantastic. What a feeling to win the FAI Cup, you know. And Larry, uh, just you said you were a schoolboy international. Would that be right? When yeah, you... I, just, I, I was a schoolboy international. That team that I spoke about with St. Joseph's, we were very successful. We sort of won everything. We won we won the whole way through. We'd, uh, we'd a few internationals on the team. Uh, Anto and John Murray, Chippy Devon, Chippy another League of Ireland legend was on our team, you know. So I did the usual thing, Alan. I, I went away for trials. I was away in England a few times. Uh, Never made it, right? One of those players who nearly made it and wasn't quite. But like they say, that those players make the best coaches. Right? So that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. You know, uh, uh, they, you, they nearly made it. Lads make the best coaches. Yeah. yeah. And and the coach, and you said, I think you you came across a a, a famous. Uh, well, he's now a famous pundit, but Roy Keane talks to me about. Yeah, that. well, that that was later, right? I I I started. I think I think the first time I staffed an FAI coaching course was in 1987, and over the next couple of years, the uh, the, the the whole process of, of starting false courses. First of all, we had a false course that was for coaches, and then the famous Roy Keane false course, which was for players, came on stream then. So I was the coach myself, and Morris Price would have been well. Morris would have been the boss now. <laughs> Morris would go mad if I said I was the boss. <laughs> Morris, who most League of Ireland people will know, Morris absolutely fantastic coach. Morris was the boss. I was the assistant, the assistant coach. Roy was on that course. Tony Gorman was on that course. Lee King was on that course. Pat Fenlon, Tony, because there was a lot of good players on that course. So Roy, Roy took the step straight from the course. He went straight from there to um, to Nottingham Forest. And what was he like, like as as right. back then? Okay, you can as you can imagine, I've been asked this question a few times, and I I've sort of developed a stock answer for it. Right? In my humble opinion, right, Roy wasn't the best player on that course. Yeah. Right, he wasn't the best player, and I think uh, Arnold Callahan did a book last year on on those early days. And I think the lads that were on the course were sort of would have agreed with that, you know. But what he had, right, he had a steely determination, right? Back then, I know we had a little bit, we were starting to dip into the sports science pool and stuff like that in terms of loading and stuff like that. But we didn't really know too much about them. Those lads were knackered. Right? They were training twice a day, every single day, you know. And they were working really hard and great bunch of fellas, right? So... At the times when fellas were really, really tired and it was hard to get them to work, that was never the case with Roy Keane. Right? It was never the case with him. No matter what the session was, right? there was a row of about 500,000 steps down in, down in Stewart's Hospital that we used to run up and down. And never did he duck out of one of those sessions. He was always doing that, you know? Now, the thing I would say about him, though, and what I've always said about him, right, in terms of mental strength, Roy, to me, again, was so single-minded that he was always able to make a step up, right? When when he was a young fella and he went straight into Cove Rambler's first team and it didn't bother him. It didn't bother him, you know? So he went from Cove Rambler's, he went straight into Nottingham Forest's first team, 
Mm. It didn't bother him. He just played the same way, you know. He just yeah. he he had that mental capability just to step up all the time, which is my reading of him. And then exactly the same thing again. He walked he walked from Forest and he went straight into the Manchester United team. And every step along the way, he just played the exact same Roy Keane, the exact same consistency, the exact same precision, right, and the exact same determination to win. I think he'd say the same about himself, though. I think he's been quoted as saying there was better players all around him in those areas. Yeah, yeah, he's all you often hear him saying that. In terms of ability, I would have said, you know, I, I know I've mentioned him already, but I would have said Pat Fennell was probably the best, in my opinion, was the best player on the course. We all know Pat Fennell is now as a coach and a manager in the league, but look, of course, Pat had a great League of Ireland career and he had a great career up the north as well. Anthony Gorman, who's managing in the north now as well, I would have thought he was between him and Pat were the two best, and then sort of would have placed Roy as the third best player. But there were an awful lot of good players on that course. But you had a career as well with the FAI as a tutor on coaching courses, so you've educated probably a, a generation of coaches across this country have come through a course mm-hmm. or had a, a touch of, of your work at some level on your course you've prepared or a course you've delivered. But in terms of I suppose that network. Are you still in touch with a lot of people within the game at the moment? Yeah, yeah. I know. I, I, I finish again <laughs> with the FAI. Everything ends in tears. Like I, I haven't worked for the FAI since two thousand and five, but I did. I, like I said, I started in nineteen eighty seven. So all that time, you know. And I look on that time as being a really, really crucial time because that was the time when, for want of a better term, sports science was starting to come into the air game. In our game, paper, paperwork, and football never used to mix, you know. So if a guy, if a guy came out on the side of a pitch with a clipboard back then, he was putting his hand out to be slapped. He was going to get ridiculed, you know. So we we were starting off. We we were lucky enough that the people that we brought in on the courses back all the way back then were really really good people in terms of fitness, right, psychology, you know, all the sports sciences. So. We would believe it or not, we, we were sort of at the cutting edge back then. We were talking about strength when the common perception of strength training was that it slowed you down. Like my dad used to say to me, don't do weights, they'd slow you down, you know. And that was the common perception then. So we were actually trying to, trying to, trying to get people to go into it, to, to understand the importance of strength. That strength is the, is the basis of power and power is the most component most important component, right? Back then, endurance was the most important component, right? And we all know the story, running 500 laps, right? Going and doing doggy after doggy after doggy after doggy. But we started turning people around to, to be, to, to look at the game and to see what happened in the game. Now, the most basic and the most common sense thing about the game, right, is you don't run for long distances in football. No. Yet we were all doing three mile runs, when we were playing, we were doing three ball runs and we were doing the famous Cooper test, which is a test, which is only a test. And people were turning that into the main part of their session. So that, in terms of the physical side of it, that we had a role to play. I look now, I look at everyone doing dynamic warm-ups before the sessions, before matches and before sessions. We introduced the idea of dynamic warm-ups here. So I can look at teams training and saying, yeah. That's our warm-up there. They're, they're, they're still doing our warm-up, you know. Now, funnily enough, on the other side of things, right, on the football side, the most important side of it, right, we were we were trying to get people to play out in the back, right, when no one played out in the back, 
Now, the young fellas nowadays wouldn't believe that, yeah. right? That, you know, the League of Ireland, when, when I was first involved, it was a, it was a confrontation. It, it was a battle of attrition but with both sides squeezed up, both sides of the halfway line, 10 yards either side of the halfway line. And whoever won the most tackles and whoever won the most knockdowns won the games. You know, and, and, it, and that permeated all the way through to, to schoolboy football. You know, right? and, I, and I can remember having to encourage people and start people off playing the ball out from the goalkeeper, trying to get playing. Now, I'm not saying everyone was like that, but we had a major role to play at that time in, in starting this culture of playing a lot more skillfully, right? playing, a lot, playing a lot more thoughtful game, as they say nowadays, right? playing in a low block as, a play, as opposed oh. to the low block. Right? Okay. We, we had, and we were lucky at, at one time from a, I said we were lucky from a fitness point of view, but when I first started, we were lucky. We had a guy called Alan Wade, right? Now, Alan Wade was the director of the, of the English FA, right? For years and years and years. And I'd have to say he was an unbelievable football mind. He was fantastic. So we were lucky to learn our football stuff from him, right? And then as, as we went further on along, we, we, were, le- we were learning from the fitness guys and from the psychology guys the physiology guys that were coming in so we were able to what what sort of fell on my lap right you know that <laughs> the way we sort of worked it was we'd get an expert come in he'd give us lecture two or three times i'd write the notes <laughs> and then from then on we'd be able to do it ourselves <laughs> you know that sort that job sort of fell into my lap right so that was that was again Looking back, I think that was a very, very important role because at the same time, the whole idea of the of the UEFA A license was coming in, of the UEFA licensing of and in Ireland, with coach in Ireland as it is now, it was the National Coaching Training Centre. That was at the time when they were trying to pull all the sports together. So if you were a hockey coach, you did an A, B, and C license or a C, D, and A license as it was then, the same as we did an A, B, and C license. The same as the rugby fellas did in A, B, and C license. So we were around at that time. So in terms of all of those things, we were lucky to be in there at the start. We, you know, and looking back, you know, I, I would be proud. I know, I know there was a lot of things we didn't do well. I know there was a lot of things we did on a wing and a prayer. But looking back, I would be very proud with the work that we did in terms of setting up the coaching courses, setting up the direction that they wanted to go. And most importantly, determining what the content was in the courses so you're right what you're saying so over that period we would have put hundreds if well no it wouldn't have been hundreds because i know in one year we qualified three thousand coaches over just one year so literally we would have put thousands of coaches through through our hands for want of a better term these days <laughs> and, and larry i just gonna just gonna ask you you know nowadays with this the coaching side of things it's all stats it's all computers and if you're very good on a computer and you can you can pick out a how like like that I, I, i'm hearing you i'm hearing you look you at know, you you can see you, you you can predict your answer from yeah, my like, age from I, the I, amount of gray hair you can predict what my answer is yeah, going to be i right? want to say like how like at least you have her larry you need to be like the importance of the other side of the game I went. To, I, I won't mention the coach's name, but she's in a prominent position now. I went to a FIFA course being given by a, a, a prominent coach who. I, now this was about. Yeah, it would have been ten years ago. It would have been at the start of this. 
who on a FIFA coaching course cancelled field sessions to do computer sessions. So you can imagine what I thought about that. Now, I think one of the problems, this is one of the things I say in the book, right? Because I think the problem now is, right? And I know I'm going to sound like an old man here, right? In terms of the internet, everyone is looking up there, right? So all schoolboy managers, all junior managers, they are all looking at Manchester City training sessions. They're looking at Barcelona training sessions. They're talking about the stats, right? And this is elite football. Yeah. This is elite football. They're trying to copy what's going on, you know, in a different world. This is a different world to the world, to the football world that we operate in. Okay. So all the stuff on computers and all, it's great. It's fantastic. But it's only one part of it. Right. Morris Price used to say, yeah, you can you can look at this and you can look at that, but you have to have the magic eye. <laughs> Marty used to call it the magic eye. He was able to spot things on the field before I ever did. He'd say, look at what your man's doing. Go in and go in and sort him out now, you know. And there's no there's no substitute for that. And and young coaches don't want to hear this, right? But the main word is experience. Hmm. Okay. Now, like I said, the analysis and the stats can help. Right, but you'd want to be some sort of some sort of fool on the side of a football pitch when you cannot if you cannot see that your players are fit at the end of the match yeah. or tired at the end of the match. Right, you want to be a fool or some sort of you know some sort of idiot if you cannot see the player who's given the ball away six out of ten times as opposed to the fella who's not given the ball away. Mm-hmm. So you know, don't get me wrong, I'm not against that. But I'm against uh, I'm, I'm against what I saw a couple of years ago. I saw in a South Dublin league match, a C South Dublin under nine match being videoed for match analysis. Now that's what I'm against. That's what I'm against. Okay. And again, I, I speak about this in the book. I have a line in the book where I say to the coaches, right, you're not a Barcelona coach. Right. You're not at the Barcelona Academy. Don't be trying to do Barcelona training with your players. Okay. And, and I honestly believe that this is what's happened. People are all looking up at the sky. They should be looking down at the grassroots because for every elite player in this country, I don't know what the stats are. You, you guys know what the stats are. For every elite player in this country, there must be a thousand players who aren't elite. So these are the players that we have to, this is what the, this, these are the players whose coaches must gain expertise in coaching them. Not doing stuff that's pie in the sky, but how do you coach these young players right, that need to learn simple stuff? And the other thing about this, watching Barcelona and all, and all the mannequins and all the poles and all the ladders and all the hurdles, these guys are training full-time. The reality for most schoolboy or schoolgirl teams now, nowadays in Ireland, now it might be a bit different because we're starting now in the summer, but the reality over the winter, over the winter season, most teams only have an hour. Yeah. They've been, they're hired in an Astro tour for an hour. Right? So they need to spend that time as efficiently as they can. So what's the best way to learn to play football? It's always been the same way. It's always been the same answer, despite all the modern training methods. The best way to learn to play football is to play football. Yeah. <laughs> it's well, on that note, maybe tell us a little bit about the book because you've mentioned it two or three times. I know we mentioned it at the start, but that feels like hours ago now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Am I boring you, Rev? <laughs> no, no, I, I, I could listen to you for hours because, but it's just 
in terms of, I suppose, what you're here to talk about tonight is actually the book, uh, Let the Players Play. It's available uh, online. People can order it from you directly at bigpicturecoachingireland.com. Tell us in a nutshell, I suppose, what the book is about. You've kind of touched on it there, but, but tell us why you sat down to write this book in the first place. Well, it, it, first of all, it's one of the millions. It's one of the millions of lockdown books. Uh, what I'm trying to do in the book is, is for, for a grassroots coach who's never coached before to be able to coach in the games. So I really firmly. Yeah. So I think what's in it, I think every situation I've ever seen in that two on two game, I've included in that book. Of course, all of that knowledge and experience from around the game all over the country in the last couple of decades, maybe a little bit more. More than a couple, well, more than a couple. couple. Plenty of experience in there. Uh, It's available in Larry's new book, uh, Let the Players Play Forward forward by current Ireland manager Stephen Kenny. And some pretty good references there. I know Anya Gorman, one of the uh, senior international teams we had on the women's show last week. She's also uh, given a nice testimonial on your website, which is bigpicturecoachingireland.com and you can get your copy of the book there. Lar, before I let you go, um, before we let you go, even it's um, it's that kind of silly season in the League of Ireland at the moment. Wexford, no manager since earlier today. Waterford are looking for someone. Dundalk looking for someone. Could you see yourself back in the League of Ireland? Or are those days past? <laughs> never say never, Brett. Never say never. I'm always open to offers. Always open to offers. <laughs> Well, listen, Lars, thanks very much for your company this evening. Uh, the best of luck with the book. I know it's thanks selling well for you, and I hope it, uh, it goes uh, bomb over the next few weeks. Right. Months, thanks very much. Thanks for the chance to do on this. No problem. Thanks, Al. Cheers, Larry. Larry Manny there, a well-experienced coach across all aspects of the game here in the country. Uh, and a nice little book if you're looking to get into coaching, particularly at the younger grassroots level in terms of developing players. Um, well worth checking that out and uh, we'll put the description we we'll put the link in the description for the podcast alan uh, you've coached a fair few kids in your time in terms of uh, coming through academies there with sligo leitrimen and sligo rovers and then that sort of stuff what in terms of, of what larry was talking about do you think is, is the, the key takeaway yeah i think uh, what larry touched on there is just simplifying it sometimes it can be over complicated as we said like a lot of Everyone wants to play like Man City. Everyone wants to play like Barcelona. But you have to start with the basics first. And I think what Lara's touching on is the grassroots coaches, that it does help them just pick up the book and go, okay, 2v2, 3v3. Develop them nice and, nice and uh, I suppose, gradually rather than jumping straight into it and uh, let the kids play and have fun. Absolutely. Well, getting back to the basics in the League of Ireland, is of course, a full round of fixtures this weekend. Friday night, two games, Drogheda United and St. Patrick's Athletic, two sides who have been playing nice, progressive, open football so far this season. They'll do battle in Henley Game Park, uh, while Finharps and Dundalk. Um, we can't really talk about this too much because we don't know what we're going to be seeing on Friday night, or if we're even going to be seeing on Friday night. The game appears to be, as we record this on Monday night, and uh, there's a report in the Sun newspaper indicating that a couple of the Dundalk players over the weekend um, went socially to Belfast, or pictured in Belfast, or what appears to be pictured in Belfast uh, over the weekend, uh, which I suppose breaks the, the regulations of the FAI and the government. And there's a whole lot of questions about the pandemic and COVID and, and everything that that brings in. Um, you've seen the pictures doing the rounds on social media. You've seen the, the reports this evening in, in some of the papers. Uh, your thoughts on that? Well, in a normal time, if you've seen it, say, 
Why are people taking pictures of players? Let them go out and enjoy themselves. We're in the middle of a pandemic, you know, um, and now is not the time. Uh, you've gone to a different, I suppose you can say a different country when you're stepping into Northern Ireland, albeit it's only an hour up the road from, from Dundalk, but you can't be at that. And with the way Dundalk is at the minute, you know, it's not going well, managerless. There doesn't seem to be any accountability with the players. So it's going to be an interesting couple of days and it's going to be an interesting time, I suppose, between the FBI or the league and what's going to happen, whether there be sanctions, whether there be not. Um, it's not one for us to decide or, or, or that, but it'll be interesting to see what the game is going to be like on Friday night, whether it's going to be the first team, whether it's going to be the 19th team, because I believe that they're being tested on Tuesday morning for for uh, the whole squad. What happens if one or two of them test positive? Does the whole squad can they play against Dundalk or can they play against Finn Harps then? No, because Finn Harps won't want to play against them because they don't want to disrupt their season. So, look, it has a knock-on effect, but we'll be hearing a lot more about this. And of course, we saw Waterford last week. We talked about already in the show. Uh, stood down their entire senior squad because of uh, a similar situation with a, a close contact or not a similar situation, but a kind of similar situation. So, will we see that on on? At the weekend on Friday, will Finn Harps face Dundalk's under 19s? Um, do Dundalk even have the under 19s back in training yet to, to be ready to play Finn Harps? Who knows the answer to these questions? But we will wait and watch the newspapers during the week and uh, and see what happens over the course of the weekend. It's going to be a long week for everyone involved with both teams, I think, in that particular fixture. A similar situation in the Northwest with Sligo. They're playing Waterford. We don't know. Which Waterford's going to show up? Will it be the senior side? Will they be out of this self-imposed curfew or the HSE-imposed curfew? Uh, will they have their first team available? Will they be fielding the same team as they did against Drada last week? Um, both games, as I mentioned, have been withdrawn from some, if not all, of the betting sites at the moment because of the uncertainty about what's going to happen. Yeah, and um, I'm sure Liam Buckley would be telling his squad, forget about it. He'd be telling them to don't read anything into it. Who knows what Waterford team uh, we spoke about it earlier. Um, Sligo Rovers still have to do a job regardless of whether it's 19s or some of the first team. But look, it just could, this this kind of situation the league could do without, people could do without. You know, people are, uh, you know, they're stressed enough as it is in, 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 in everyday life. Fans can't go out to games and it's just frustrating for everyone. And it's just drawn attention to the league and it was going so good that it doesn't need. And um, on Saturday night, Rovers will just have to do a job. And um, as I said, Liam Buckley will have them, regardless of what, which team it is, if they keep playing the way they are playing, they, they, they should get a result. Yeah, Longford Town and Bohemians, they do battle in uh, Bishopsgate in Longford. Uh, that's uh, obviously the, the big game of the first couple of rounds when Longford came back from 2-0 down, Bowles will be looking to uh, exact revenge. They look to be in a bit of form, which they hadn't brought into that original fixture, uh, and they'll be looking to close the gap on Drahada and Finn Harps ahead of them. Yeah, um, Bowes will, and they, they, will, they, they will still remember the, the result up in um, Daily Mount. It's going to be a difficult game. Longford are difficult at home. Well, I fancy Bulls to to do to do well in this uh, series of fixtures, and um, whether they win, I don't know. Whether Longford make a draw, I don't know. But it's going to be it, it won't be no way an easy game for Bulls. 
Yeah, and finally, Rory Higgins has had a, a varied and a bit of a roller coaster return to the league with Derry City. Two opening wins. It hasn't gone so well in the last two games. Uh, they face into a Tala Stadium and Shamrock Rovers. Um, can they get something out of that game? I don't think they can. I think it's important for uh, for Rory Higgins just to get back to getting that shape back in the team. They, they, they want to play football. Every team wants to play football, but I think they're very... They can get caught out a little bit easy at the back, and I think they're in for a long night up in Tala. You know, Shams, Shams can up the gears when they want, so I can't see them getting Anton in Tala. Unfortunately, I think I can see Shamrock Rovers continuing on their uh, their winning run. How many games do you think they can hit? Is 50, 60 beyond them? Can they go the rest of the season unbeaten? They can. I think they could. Uh, they're going to hit a blip. Whether they get a couple of draws or wins, I look at Shamrock Rovers are such a squad. Of course, they can um, go the whole season unbeaten, but you don't want that either because that means the league will be they'll run away with the league. Um, but yeah, it's it's it's. It, I think possibly, let's say forty-two games. So another another eight or ten or so, and uh, you're being optimistic. Do you think they'll get through this round unbeaten as well? And yeah. first division full round of games as well, all on Friday night with one exception. Uh, Bray and Cavan that kind of the dark derby I heard it referred to last week. It's one of the strange ones, but uh, Cavan visit Bray. Yeah, that's a that's a huge journey out to the Carlisle grounds. We're all in Cavan Uh UCD and Cork City, a bit further for Cork to travel, and that one, Galway United and Wexford managers managerless Wexford. Treaty United and Athlone, they do battle down in um, in Limerick, and Cove Ramblers and Shells do battle on Saturday evening uh, down in Combs Park in Cove. Um, any of those games spring out at you as ones you'd like to kind of get in over the weekend? Well, the, the Cabin Tilly and Bray game is definitely, if you looked at it last year, you said that would have been the game of the, of the, of the weekend. Teams this year not clicking into gear as much as they, as they probably would want to. But definitely, I'd be trying to look at and get to see that game if I can. Um, there's some good players in both sides, um, and they definitely both have ambitions to to win the league. Yeah, for me, I think Treaty and Athlone are two sides. Yeah, three, like, three everybody. Yeah, I think I think they would have both been expected to be in the bottom two or three teams. Maybe not Athlone to be fair, but they would have been expected to be down around the bottom of the table, and both teams in the top half. And, and comfortably and well worth their spot in the top half. So interesting to see how that one plays out on Friday evening as well. Cove, of course, looking to kickstart their season and get themselves back in contention. They host um, joint leader Shells. I can't see it happening for Cove. They seem to just have struggled at times this year. Um, they, they shipped a heavy defeat against UCD, and I'd be worried for them this week that Shells, if, if Shells click, uh, they could be capable of doing something similar to Cove. Yeah, we we we've touched on the shells are the team really this year with the squad that they've signed. Um, they've signed pre- some good, really really good players that possibly could even hold their own in the in the in the Premier Division. So, Cove, yes, albeit it's a nice little journey down, but uh, you know shells should be too much for them, and it could be it could be a long night for Cove. Yeah, and um, I suppose the only other news in the show this week or in the, the league this week is uh, we've three vacant positions. Rory Higgins obviously has already filled uh, the role at Derry, but there's three other positions currently vacant in dugouts across the country. Wexford added 
to the list tonight. They parted ways with Brian Sullivan. But it's um, and, and Derry, obviously, and Waterford being the other two. How is the coaching badges? Have you got it framed on the wall? Have you told it, maybe dusted it down and taken it off and thrown your name in the hat? Any interest? Um, never rule out any interest. But no, I wouldn't be. Uh, I don't think I'd be heading to Wexford anytime soon. So you don't need to worry about that. Let me be stuck with you for a while. So, uh, <laughs> do you need coaching badges for this too? For this, no. Well, I don't know. I have a B license. How are you fixed? <laughs> I have a B yeah, license need, too. Yeah, we'll have to have a chat with Dean and see what, he, what credentials he has for next week. Uh, Alan, listen, as ever, thanks for joining Actually, me. Actually, just before we finish up, I just want to, you know, um, touch on, I suppose, Dermot Keeley uh, on, the, on the sad loss of his son, um, Alan, during the week. Um, you know, a good, good League of Ireland man, good League of Ireland family. And I just want to pay my um, respects to the Dermot and and uh, his 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 sad loss and uh, from Alan. So um, we're thinking of them at this time. Absolutely, no. I had the pleasure of working with both men and um, with during my time in Dublin City for a couple of years, and just absolutely gentle both of them, you know. And uh, anytime you bump into Dermot out and about anywhere. And you could meet him literally anywhere. Uh, he was always so nice. But um, Alan himself, a gentle giant, well able to throw around on a football pitch. But uh, often he was just an absolute gentleman and a huge loss to to his family, to his kids, to his partner, and uh, everybody that was um, involved in his life. So uh, yeah, as as the rest of the League of Ireland family and the rest of the League of Ireland community, and uh, obviously huge respect for everything that they've done in the game. And such a sad story. Younger younger than myself, which is. I suppose I know I heard Johnny and, and Dan talking about it on LY Central last week about the fact that he was younger than them and uh, passed away and it kind of clicks in. Obviously, you're not quite at that age yet. Uh, you're not 38 yet. You're what, 35, 36? I'm 36, yeah. But it does, yeah. it does, it does strike home and it's, it, it, it's so sad. Like when, when the news broke and you just think of his, you know, his family at the time. So it's really, really sad. Yeah. Well, listen, uh, our yes, Jake, or Abraham and Jealous, uh, that's all from us this week. Uh, we will be back with you next week to talk about everything League of Ireland related. Chat to you then.